John chapter 5, verse 1. Now, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity, which had an infirmity, excuse me, 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The evident man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. I, I, this is not the message. I just thought about this while I was reading. Uh, aren't you glad that when Jesus does things, it's just a whole lot simpler than the other ways? Amen. I mean, this guy had been laying there all these years, and, and the deal was, boy, you had to wait till just exactly the right time, and then you, you had to be the first one there. I mean, you had to qualify and all this other stuff. And he never could get it just right, and Jesus comes along and says, well, it's this simple, my way, rise up and walk, you know, if you believe in the Lord. And so I praise the Lord for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus, the simplicity of getting saved, that a little child can do it and know what they're doing. I praise the Lord he did it that way. It says here in verse uh, 8, Jesus said to him, Rise up, take thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And he answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a multitude being, uh, excuse me, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now I want to draw your attention to what Jesus said to this man at the end of verse 14. Look at it again. He said, Lest a worse thing come unto thee. Let's look back real quick at the condition that Jesus found this guy in. In verse 5, look at it, the Bible said that this man had had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. This man had been sick longer than I've been alive. I'm 36 and he had been laying in this shape 38 years. In verse 7, it says that he was an impotent man. That word means weak, feeble, wanting strength or power, unable by nature or disabled by disease or accident to perform any act. That was a description that we find this man. That was a situation that he was in. He was unable to do anything for himself. In 38 years, he had been that way. And either he would drag himself down there if he was that able, or somebody would bring him daily and lay him by this pool. And, and he would hope that he could get somebody to help him get into the water once the angel stirred the water. And uh, it never did work out for him. So not only was he in a bad shape and had been that way for a long time, but when we read in verse 7, we find out that really he didn't have any hope that it was ever going to change. Now, he didn't know really what Jesus was asking when Jesus said, will thou be made whole? He didn't understand that Jesus could do it. He just thought Jesus was inquiring about, hey, why, why are you just laying here when you could be made whole right there with that pool? And so he begins to explain. He says, well, I would, but I'm never going to get to. He said, I've been here all these years and every time the water gets stirred before I can get over there to do it, somebody gets in front of me. He really didn't have any hope. And so this man's condition was pretty bad when we find him. If you agree with that, say amen. I mean, he's rough shape, no hope, nobody to help him, and uh, couldn't do anything for himself. I believe if you were to talk to this man very much about his life, he might have said something along these lines in the conversation. He might have said, you know, it just can't get much worse than this. 
I picture him as he goes out there another year and he's trying to be the one in the pool and maybe he gets closer than ever before. Then right before he gets in the water, somebody jumps in and again, he has missed out on his opportunity for a miracle. And I can picture as he is going back home somehow or another that evening, he's upset, he's discouraged. And if somebody were to talk to him, he'd probably begin to say stuff like that. You know, it just can't get much worse than this. Well, when you think about it, that makes sense. We would probably feel that way. But then it becomes amazing to me when we realize what Jesus said to him in verse 14. Jesus looks at him and at verse 14, he plainly tells him, hey, it could be worse than it was. Now look at that. He said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Worse than what? Worse than what he had been in. Because right at this point, he was, he was healed and he was doing well. And Jesus gets back with him there in the temple and says, Hey, sin no more, lest the worst thing, worse than your life was when we found you. He said, it can be worse. The key phrase now, before I really get into it, is that he said, sin no more. Now, we know that didn't mean for him to be perfect. It meant, hey, start trying to live a life that's not consumed with sin. Start trying to live right and doing right as best you can. I want to preach for a few minutes on this thought. It could be worse. It could be worse. It's a bad thing to ever say it can get worse. If you're outside and you say that, it'll start raining probably, amen? It can get worse. I want to preach to you about that for a minute. Now remember here, he says, sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. What I want you to understand is that when people find themselves in really tough situations, situations where they might feel like it can't get any worse, they are often tempted to sin. It's during these tough times often that folks will drift away from the Lord or stop doing things that they know are right to do. It's during tough times that uh, many folks will make decisions that they wouldn't have made if they didn't find themselves in that certain circumstance. If they, if they hadn't ended up right here where they just feel like it couldn't get any worse, they probably wouldn't have done that. But because of the situation, they make decisions that they normally wouldn't have made and sometimes those decisions are to do wrong or to stop doing right. What I want you to see in this message is that not only it could be worse, but that there's a biblical principle here. Listen to me. The biblical principle is this. It does get worse if you decide to go the route of sin. It's a biblical principle. Preacher, it just couldn't be any worse than it is right now. Yes, it could. That's what the principle is here that Jesus is teaching this man and that he's teaching us. He's saying to this guy, I know you've had a rough life. I know for 38 years things were bad. And I know you probably thought they couldn't get any worse. But I want to tell you something. Even though now you're healed and you're walking around and you've got your health, Jesus says you better not go out and live a life of sin or you could be worse than you were. Let's look at Exodus chapter 32. I want to show you a couple of uh, Bible examples. and will probably go very quickly on that part of the message and just make a few comments. And uh, hopefully we'll get out here in good order. Exodus chapter 32. It could be worse, and the biblical principle is, it does get worse if you decide to go off into sin when you're in the midst of troubles. Exodus 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed, just keep looking for it. That's all right if you're not there yet. I'm just hurrying for time's sake. Second book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up. Make us gods, notice the little g, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Now the children of Israel had already been through some tough situations at this point. 
Now you know that for 400 years, I believe it was, they were in bondage in Egypt and they were slaves and they were particularly uh, mistreated near the end of that bondage by the new Pharaoh that came on the scene. And they were beaten and they were abused and they were forced to work in slavery and servitude and God sent Moses to set them free. Moses and Aaron, his brother, showed up and God began to do great miracles and they were set free from the bondage of Egypt. But that didn't end all their problems. If you know, they left Egypt and they were given all the gold and silver that they needed and stuff. They found themselves at the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army had changed their mind and decided to chase them. And they turn and look and they've got a mountain on one side and a desert on the other and the Red Sea before them and Pharaoh's army coming down on them from behind. They began to get afraid. They're scared and of course you would be too. And uh, they call out to Moses and begin to complain and murmur and fuss and they're worried. And God tells Moses to hold the rod out and God uses Moses there. And God blows the water back and parts the Red Sea and they cross over. And then the Pharaoh's army comes in behind them trying to get them. And God closes the water down on the army and washes away their greatest enemy. But now if you know the story, they cross over there and they enter into some wildernesses. And just because Pharaoh's gone doesn't mean their problems are gone. And they get there into those wildernesses. God was leading them through a few wildernesses so that he might teach them to trust him. And in doing so, they found some tough times. First of all, in chapter 15, they ran out of water. Now listen, when you run out of water, that's a big deal. I remember last year, of course, we're not having a drought this year, praise God. We're getting our share of rain. But last year, if you remember, uh, you know, everybody was thinking Al Gore was a genius. We were in global warming. It was never going to rain again. And uh, we were in tough times. And some people's wells started drying up. And it did get serious. It is serious when you don't have water. Say amen right there. So in chapter 15, they find themselves in a tough situation. They begin to cry out. God speaks to Moses and God tells Moses what to do. They had found some water and it was bitter water and they couldn't drink it. So it was no use to them. And then God uses Moses to perform a miracle and makes the water sweet. And they're able to drink and they're saved there in chapter 15. In chapter 16, they run out of food. And again, hey, listen, I like water, and I'm sure it's probably a little bit more important, or at least you need it more often, but I really like food, praise God. You start running out of food, and you got problems. So they run out of food, and they begin to cry out the same. And, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to starve to death here in the wilderness. And in chapter 16, they speak to Moses. Moses prays to God. God uses Moses, and, and again, a great miracle is brought, and the manna comes from heaven, and the quail is sent from God, and their need for food is met. Then in chapter 17, they run out of water again. And so now again, they're throwing up their hands. Oh, it's so bad. It's rough. And these are serious situations. Don't forget that. Now, we often give the children of Israel a hard time because of how quickly they would murmur against God. But I'm going to tell you something. If we were going through droughts and we were going through famines the way they were, it would be hard for us to stay faithful also. And so they find themselves in a great tough situation again with no water. They speak to Moses. Moses talks to God. God tells Moses what to do. And they watch Moses, their leader, take the rod and smite the rock and water comes out and saves them yet again. No doubt they thank God for his power. They also thank God for their leader, Moses. Then in chapter 17, they face their first major battle, their physical warfare against Amalek. And while they're fighting this battle, they notice something that Moses is up on the mountain And while Moses, their leader, holds the rod up, they win the battle. But when his arm gets tired and the rod falls down, they begin to lose the battle. Exodus chapter 17. And uh, no doubt they're paying attention. And so we know that Aaron and Hur uh, slid up beside him and hold up his arms. And and, uh, they hold that rod up. And while Moses' arm is raised, they win. And eventually God gives them a great victory. Now I point all that out because you see the common denominator. Now we know the common denominator really was God and that God did it. And that if it hadn't been for God, they wouldn't have got any help. But in their eyes, another major player was the man Moses. 
Every time they had a major problem, they could go to their leader. He would go to God and God would use him to cause the answer to come. Well, now here in chapter 32, their leader is gone and he's been gone for 40 days. And the Bible said they want not what is becoming. They don't know what's happened. As a matter of fact, they believe that he's dead. They think Moses has gone up into the mountain. He was supposed to go up there and talk to God. He'd never been gone this long before that I know of. And uh, they start to get worried. They begin to get nervous. And they think, what are we going to do? Now remember, every problem they'd had, they've continually faced major problems. But every time they've faced a major problem, they've been able to go to Moses, who's gone to God. And God has sent an answer. But now, they're looking around and saying, what are we going to do now? I believe, if you were to talk to these people, some of them would probably say, it just can't get any worse than this. I mean, we've left Egypt, and we're out here by ourselves, and we've been thirsty twice, and we've been hungry, and we had to fight battle that we wouldn't have won if Moses hadn't been up there with his rod up. And we've got more problems to come. We're stuck out here, and he's gone. Moses is gone, the one that goes to God for us, that has all the answers, he's gone. I believe some of them were probably thinking, it can't get much worse than this. But I want to show you something. Look at verse 5. It did get worse. You know why? Because in their despair, they made a bad choice. When they began to look around and think that Moses was gone and think, oh, what are we going to do? They made a bad choice. They said, you know what? His God has failed us. Moses is gone and he's probably dead and where's his God now? And so let's make our own little G gods and we'll just turn. You know what, by the way, that's sin. Say amen right there. It's sin when you turn your back on God. And they turned from God and said, Aaron, make us some small gods and we'll worship them and maybe they'll help us. Hey, they made a choice in a tough situation. They chose to go away from God and begin to sin. And in verse 5, look at this. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is the feast of the Lord. And so they're going to start worshiping tomorrow. They rose up early in verse 6. Offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and rose up to play. They began to have a worship service for this false god. They made a bad choice in tough times. Look at verse 26. They were thinking, what are we going to do? The man of God is gone. We have no hope. We're in trouble. Uh, His God has failed us. And so... I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's just make our own gods and maybe they can help us. They made a bad choice. They sinned. In the middle of tough times, they made a choice to enter into a life of sin. Look at verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. In verse 27. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother. And every man his companion and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. Let me tell you something. They were thinking, Moses is gone. What are we going to do? It can't get any worse. But it did get worse. As a matter of fact, at the end of this day, you know what they're having? They're having 3,000 funerals that they didn't have to have. They got 3,000 wives who's now without a husband. We don't know exactly if it was just 3,000 men, but you see the point. They're now going through a darker time than they were. At first, really, they were not struggling. They were not out of food. God was still taking care of that. They were not out of water. God was taking care of that. But they thought, oh, no, Moses is gone, which, by the way, he wasn't gone. And if he had been gone, God would still have taken care of them. But in the midst of a tough situation, they made a bad choice. They said, we'll just go away from God. We'll see it. And guess what? When they thought it couldn't get any worse, it did get worse. 3,000 died. Let's look at another place very quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 13. We talked about this not too long ago. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Are you awake this morning? Say amen. 
1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, very simple Bible principle. But listen, I believe people are messing up in this all the time. And if things get worse in the economy and things like that, you're going to have another chance. You're going to have more and more chances to drift away from God as you find yourself in tough circumstances. You need to understand something. The Bible principle is it will get worse if you choose sin during those times. 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. Saul here, King Saul, we talked about this not long ago. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou comest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmah, Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Saul found himself in a tough situation. The Philistines, the enemies of his people, were coming against him. The prophet had not showed up. The prophet was supposed to come and pray and ask God what God would have him to do. So the prophet had not come. He had not given them the word of God. He had not given them the will of God. And so King Saul was getting nervous. Not only was King Saul getting nervous, but the Bible says the people became nervous. And in verse 8, they were scattered from him. And so he is literally losing his army and losing his people as he stands here waiting on the prophet. He's losing his people. He's in danger as they leave of losing a major battle against the enemies of God. And if he loses his people and loses his battle, he understands that he is going to lose credibility and possibly his authority in the eyes of these people. And so Saul finds himself in a mess. Everybody's waiting to hear from God. Everybody's waiting to hear whether they're supposed to go fight this battle or not. They're waiting to hear if God is going to give them a great victory, but the prophet has not come. They're looking at Saul and they realize that Saul don't have the answer. And so they begin to get nervous and leave him. And he finds himself in a situation where I believe if you could talk to him, he'd probably be wringing his hands. And he'd probably begin to say as he realizes the Philistines are getting closer and closer. Oh, it just couldn't get much worse than this. I'm in a mess. The people are leaving. The enemy's coming. I'm going to lose the battle. We're going to lose our authority. I'm going to lose everything. I believe he was tore up. I believe he was upset because the Bible said when he started talking to the prophet, he said, I thought surely they were going to come down now. And I haven't prayed. I haven't done supplication. You know what he did? The Bible said he forced himself. He did something that he knew was wrong. Look at it now. He knew he wasn't supposed to offer burnt offerings because he's not the priest. He knew it. He'd been taught the law. Samuel says that to him here in just a little bit. But he found himself in a situation. Listen to me. Hey, daddies, you better pay attention here. As the head of your house, sometimes you're going to have to make tough decisions. And if you're not careful, when it gets real tough, you'll be tempted to do something that you know is not right. Or stop doing something you know is right. And you'll think it's justified because your situation is so bad. And in your mind, you'll probably be thinking, well, things just couldn't get much worse than this. I want you to know something. When you choose to do wrong in those situations, it will get worse. He said, what happened for Saul? It got worse. Verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. You know what Saul was so worried about when those people were leaving? He was worried about losing his people. They were all leaving and he thought, oh, I'm going to lose this battle and I'm not going to be the king. All the people are not going to have confidence in me. Hey, listen, he thought that was the worst possible thing, but guess what he found out? 
He found out there was something worse than that. You say, what was it? God himself rejected him. The prophet shows up and says, hey, you messed up, man. I know it looked bad, but you still had no right to do that thing that you knew was wrong. You consciously sinned because you thought things couldn't get any worse. He said, but now they are. Because God was going to give you the kingdom forever. But now God is taking it from you and listen, from your children. Saul was worried about himself and now he realizes he's not only messed it up for himself, but he's messed it up for his children and grandchildren. When you think things couldn't get any worse, be careful not to choose to do wrong. Be careful not to make sin your next step because it will get worse then. It could be worse. Look at another one, Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, we're doing a Bible study I guess this morning. Stay with me now. Ruth chapter 1. It could get worse. She said, this is not very encouraging. Hey, listen, the end of it will be a little better. Stay with me, all right? Ruth chapter 1. Make sure you're in the service tonight. We're going to have a special service tonight, the Lord's Supper. If you've never been in a service where they do the Lord's Supper and it makes you a little nervous, you think it's going to be overly boring or something, just come anyway. You don't even have to participate. You can just sit and watch and listen. It's nothing mystical about it. It's just something we do in obedience to the Lord, but it is a good time to think about God. And we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to have a baptism after that. Looking forward to that. The last baptism we had, I about had a spell. I about jumped out of the baptistry, shouting and having a good time. And so I want you to be here tonight for that special service. Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, for time's sake, we'll stop reading. Here's the story. Elimelech and Naomi, Jewish people. They knew what was right. They knew about God. They were living in the place of God, Bethlehem, Judah, the house of God, if you will. The Bible said in verse 1, though, that there was a famine in the land. And by the way, we are going to have problems even when we're in the will of God. Do you understand that? You are going to have troubles. We are going to face issues. And we're going to face some tough ones sometimes. And they find themselves in that. I can't imagine watching my family. He had a wife and two sons. I can't imagine watching my wife and two children as we go through having no food. I can't imagine watching them literally cry, the babies, because they're hungry and have nothing to eat or very little to eat. I would say that has got to be one of the worst possible situations that you could find yourself in. Watching your wife and children or mothers, watching their children cry from having nothing to eat. Well, that's where this family found themselves. They were in a great famine in the land of God. We don't know how bad God let it get, but it must have gotten pretty bad for them to make this choice. You say, what'd they do? They found themselves in a situation, and maybe they got to the place that they thought, you know, it just couldn't get any worse than this. We're starving to death. Our children are crying. Hey, nobody, our neighbors, nobody has any food. There's not hope anywhere. And they found themselves in that situation, and they made a bad choice. The choice was this. The Bible said they decided to sojourn in the country of Moab. Moab was not the place of God. They were living in the place of God, Bethlehem, Judah. Moab is a wicked city. Moab was a place of, of Gentiles. The Jews had no business going down there and living in that city, and they knew that. But here's what they thought. The word sojourn means just a short trip, like a vacation, if you will. They made the mistake that many people make when they're in tough times, and this was it. They said, it looks better out there right now. Even though I'm in the place of God, I'm trying to do the will of God, I found myself in a tough situation. It don't look like it could get any worse. And out there, things seem to be better. So what we'll do is we'll leave the place of God and we'll go out into the world and we'll just stay a little while until things get better and then we'll come running back to God. I want to tell you something. If you think it couldn't be worse, you'll find out different when you walk away from God. It could be worse. 
And it gets worse when you choose sin. They said, we'll just go down there for a little while. When things got tough, they decided to leave the place of God. I want you to know something. First of all, they didn't just stay a little while. The Bible said 10 years later. That is not what they planned. They planned to stay maybe a few months until the famine passed. Or maybe a year or so until the next season came in and the crops were doing better. They never planned to stay that long. Let me say something to you. That's the way it is when you leave the Lord. That's the way it is when you decide to get into a life of sin. Look at me now. You never plan to stay quite as long as you end up staying. There's one old saying that says, sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. Hey, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. That's the way the saying goes. And that's the truth. Hey, listen, it, it, never, it never gives what it offers. And it offered for them maybe a short-term solution to this problem they were in. Then they could come running back to God. It didn't work that way. As a matter of fact, she thought things could not get any worse. And guess what she found out? They got way worse in Moab. Not only did she hear some crying, but she was doing it herself as her, de- her, her husband passed away and both of her sons. No doubt in Bethlehem, Judah, she was afraid. What are we going to do? We're all going to die of starvation. Guess what? God was going to take care of them while they were there in his place and in his will. Say, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us in just a minute that he remembered his people and he sent food to that land. But they left God. They turned away from God and went away from God. When things were tough and they thought it couldn't get any worse, they made the mistake of choosing to go away from God and sinning. And they found out this Bible principle is true. Hey, it was 10 years and... And three funerals before she realized I messed up. I need to go back to God. I think about my dad. When my dad got out of church when we were very young, we had had church trouble, church turmoil. They had run the pastor off. It's one of those messes you hear about. In the middle of all that, my dad got offended. He got upset. He was friends with the pastor and close. I don't know the details. I just know that was the reason that he got upset and stopped going to church for a while. I guarantee you, if you'd sat down with my dad at that point, he would have told you that he was just upset and he didn't like what had happened and he didn't like what they'd done or how they'd done the man of God and that he was not going to go back there. But I bet if you would have said, Albert, are you going to quit church altogether? He would have said, oh, no. I bet he would have said, I'm going to find me a place where me and my family can go. Or he might have said, I'm going to wait a little while and let things calm down. I'm going to come back to this church. I don't think for a minute he thought it would be that long. But guess what? 20-something years later, a life of alcohol later. Hey, listen, he didn't even drink when he quit church. If you'd have said, Albert, are you going to get out and ruin your life and start drinking? He had grown up with a bunch of brothers that all did that stuff and he had never done it. He had stayed away from that. But now if you'd ask him, are you going to ruin your life? He'd said, oh no, I'm just a little upset. I'm just going to go away from the house of God for a little while while these hard times are here. Hey, you never stay just a little while. Satan gets a hold of you. The world gets a hold of you and it becomes worse than it was when you left. I guarantee you he had trade some church trouble for 20 years of what he lived through. If he could go back. It just couldn't get any worse. Oh, yes, it could. Miss Scott, if you come to the piano, I'm going to close by giving you a couple of things. Jesus said to that man in our text, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. As bad as that boy's life had seen before, Jesus healed him. The Lord wanted him to know that a life of sin would leave him in worse shape than he was. Hey, let's don't make the same mistake in 2009. Listen to me, I'm about done. I've gone very quickly. It's been less than 30 minutes right now. Hey, listen. We're going to be in tough situations. Some of you are right now. Some of you may be in one that you think it just can't get no worse. I'm going to tell you something. I don't mean to discourage you, but I want you to know something. If you choose right now to begin to sin and go away from God, or quit doing things that are right that you have been doing, you're going to find out that it can get worse. 
Because the biblical principle is, it always does when you leave God. I know that these are tough times, and in tough times, we are tempted. You can go ahead and start playing when you get ready. We are tempted to stray away from the Lord. That's what Naomi and Elimelech did in the book of Ruth. They didn't say we're going to go out and live like the devil. They just strayed away from the Lord because things were so tough. I know in tough times, listen now, in tough times we are tempted to do some things that we wouldn't normally do. That's what Saul did. Saul never offered the sacrifice before. He knew he wasn't supposed to. But he'd never been in one of those situations before where he was wringing his hands and he thought it just can't get any worse. And when he found himself in that place, he made a choice to do something he'd never done before and something he knew he shouldn't do. Hey, I know that's tempting. I know that it's tempting when you're in these tough times to put other things before God just for a little while in order to try to get things straightened out. That's what the children of Israel decided to do. Oh, our God's failed us and Moses is gone and where's our hope? Let's make us some little G-gods. It's a tough thing in financial troubles to continue to be faithful to God with your finances, isn't it? It's a tough thing to be faithful to God with your presence at church when everything's falling apart. You're tempted to just say, well, God will understand and I'll go do this and I'll go do that. And maybe I'll work at a job that I wouldn't normally work at. We might all look around 10 years from now and say, we'd have been better off to lose everything and kept you than for you to choose to do that thing you knew was wrong just to try to fix the tough time we were in. I know it's tempting. But there's a Bible principle here. And let me show you something very quickly. The answer to all three of these people's problem, the answer to all of them, King Saul's problem, Elimelech and Naomi in the book of Ruth, their problem, the children of Israel, the answer to all of those problems was very simply this. Wait on the Lord. 